gosh, it is really good to be together. Like, this is crazy. Um, and uh, yeah, we're, we're praying that uh, gathering online and here, um, that Jesus would move, you know? I mean, we're, we're not, none of us are gathering wanting to play church, right? Like, we're, we're all gathering here or online because, because we want Jesus to move and move in our lives, and we want him to be the center of our lives. And um, going through the book of Daniel together just made me, I think there's roughly 1,100 chapters in the Bible, 1,100 chapters in the Bible. And so preaching through, the, through books of the Bible like we do, Daniel chapter 4 that we're going to be in today, um, it's a gift that we get to go through this together as a church today. And I remember Patty and I, when we were first married about 16 years ago, we're a part of a church in North Dallas and Frisco, and we spent over a year going through the book of Job, if you could believe it. We're going, I mean, we spent like 50 weeks, 50-some weeks going through the book of Job. The church actually applauded when the pastor said it was the last week in the book of Job, and he didn't expect to get a standing ovation for that. But even now, when I go back to that book, um, when we went through it together as a church, like that really impacts me. And so I'm trusting and hoping that it won't be lost on us. And I think for us to really embrace this moment that um, part of me wishes we could preach this chapter for the rest of our lives uh, every single Sunday. Um, and I think we could say that about, about most of the chapters. And so we have a special moment on May 17th, 2020 to corporately turn our hearts, our lives, our eyes to this chapter and look to the Lord to change us through it. Um, I think you might say um, up till now, as we've gone through the book of Daniel, you could, you could like make a strong argument that it's named wrong, that it should be called the book of Nebuchadnezzar, <laughs> because it has been about Nebuchadnezzar, about his pride, and he would want nothing less then for it to all be about him and the rock star that he is as the king of the most important empire on planet earth at the time. So he would be perfectly happy with it be calling the book of Nebuchadnezzar. Um, so one of the things, though, is that this is the last chapter that we will ever hear from Nebuchadnezzar again. And I thought it might be fun and interesting this morning to start by literally looking at his city, not looking at him but looking at his city that he loved so much, Babylon, uh, in the 600s B.C. So in March, in March of 1899, Robert Coldway and Walter Andre, archaeologists from Germany, led a team to Iraq, and they discovered Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon in 1899. When they first arrived, the giant city was covered over with almost 3,000 years of blowing sand. So this is what it looked like when they first came across. So you can see on the right there, you could just see parts of it that made them think, oh my gosh, there is a massive city underneath here. Um, they spent, um, oh, and just for reference, this is what scholars believe the actual city looked like at the time of Nebuchadnezzar. And so, and look at that, that blue, um, this gate right here. This gate, pay attention to the, the smaller one. See how there's like a lot bigger things. But um, and then this, this drawing doesn't do a very good job, but one of the wonders of the ancient world were the hanging gardens of Babylon. So I think that people think they had perfected hydroponics and they, that just like gardens were above you and it was just the most opulent, amazing city. Um, so they spent 15 years 
trying to dig out the city. They had to stop because of World War I, but here's a photo from the Library of Congress after 15 years of excavating uh, Babylon. Uh, then at World War I, everything had to stop. Uh, they were afraid that a lot of things that they had discovered were going to be ruined, so um, they sent 900 boxes of things from here to a university in Portugal for safekeeping. And, um, and when the war was over, the lead archaeologist had died uh, during the time of World War I, but thankfully that second archaeologist, Walter Andre, got the boxes shipped to Berlin, and um, his team, after the war, they started reassembling all of these like marked pieces and started putting things back together. And here's a photo of his team reassembling that gate that I pointed out, the Ishtar Gate. So be thankful that wasn't your job, right? Uh, it was definitely a labor of love. And um, here's a photo of some of the amazing color details as they assembled it. So all those color pictures had been black and white, but, but these are details from that gate that they put together. And if you actually today, you can go to the Pergamon, Pergamon Museum in Berlin and you can see the actual gate that Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar would have walked through as they entered into Babylon. And so here's a photo of the reconstructed gate. Isn't that amazing? That is Nebuchadnezzar's gate. That's his gate. And if you're like, well, how do you know that? How, how do you know that that's actually Nebuchadnezzar's gate from his city in 600 B.C.? And, well... We know the heart of the man. You think he would construct a city like this and not write all over it how awesome he is? So actually on the back side, this is a column of him, his writing about his building of the city and of the gate. And so, so that photo is ancient Akkadian writing about the dedication of, of that gate. And, um, and so they actually... So crazy enough, people actually know how to read that <laughs> and have translated that Akkadian. And so this is what that column of text says. It says, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the faithful prince appointed by the will of Marduk, who is one of the main gods of Babylon, the highest of princely princes, beloved of Nabu, of prudent counsel, who has learned to embrace wisdom. You know, so you're visiting the city and reading this and being like, oh my gosh, this guy. <laughs> Who fathom their divine being and reveres their majesty. The untiring governor who always takes to heart the care of the cult of Asagila and Azida and is constantly concerned with the well-being of Babylon and Borsippa. The wise, the humble. He actually, he's referring to himself here. Oh man, the caretaker of Asagila and Azida the firstborn son of Nabopolassar, the king of Babylon, both gate entrances of Imgur Alil and Nemeti Alil, following the filling of the street from Babylon, had become increasingly lower. The city was falling apart. Therefore, I pulled down these gates and laid their foundations at the water table with asphalt and bricks, and had them made of bricks with blue stone, on which wonderful bulls and dragons were depicted. I covered their roofs by laying majestic cedars lengthwise over them. I hung doors of cedars adorned with bronze and at all the gate openings. I placed wild bulls and ferocious dragons in the gateways and thus adorned them 
with luxurious splendor so that people might gaze on them and wonder. I let the temples of Assis-Kersisker, the highest festival house of Marduk, the lord of the gods, a place of joy and celebration for the major and minor gods, be built firm like a mountain in the precinct of Babylon of asphalt and fired bricks. So that's his... And we can say, that sounds like him. <laughs> and the reason I, we spend time on that, I think, is first to just appreciate. I mean, when you're reading Daniel chapter 4, you might not know that this is in a museum in Berlin and the background there. But then to also see something that, that Nebuchadnezzar commissioned to be written about him with his own name on it that was buried, that was found, um, that hasn't been messed with, um, and to see just in living color portions of the events of the Bible, I think are just awesome. These are real events in real places showing a real God. Um, the pride of Nebuchadnezzar is seen. We're going to see an artifact next week that just shows, like, it's like, oh my gosh, the Lord just in his kindness allowed this to just be a part of something outside the Bible to just say, like, yes, like, this is true. You can trust it. You can trust these events. And um, I think all of this is important to see how Daniel 4 starts, okay? So, so he built this, and scholars believe he did all this. This would have been after his first dream and what Josh prayed about. So after he's aware that his kingdom is going to crumble and another kingdom is coming that's going to outstrip that kingdom, it, it's after all of the, it's after um, the, furn the, the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He still spends decades building this. We think probably this was decades after that. And now what chapter four is, is chapter four is his testimony. You're like, what? <laughs> you know? Chapter four is his own handwriting, something that he wrote himself that he sent to every city in the empire. And this is how chapter four starts. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. Verse 2, it has seemed good to me to show you the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs. How mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And his dominion endures from generation to generation. And I think to that we just say, who is this guy? What has happened? This, he said his. He's talking about someone who's not himself. He's always talking about himself. And now the only thing that he said in reference to himself is I want to tell you what God has done for me. The pronouns of his life have shifted from I am the center of the world to I want to tell you about the new center of my world. Something massive has changed. This is the testimony written by his own hand. It's first person. You can see he's taken over the pen from Daniel and how he is writing in the first person about what has happened. And I think, so a few reasons, I think the first reason that we know his life has massively changed is because now he's not talking about himself anymore. He's talking about, about God. The second one, though, is that you can tell God is now personal to Nebuchadnezzar. 
He has a personal relationship. You could see all the, the first three chapters, whenever God did something amazing, this was Nebuchadnezzar's response. Wow, that was amazing. I can't believe you guys have such an amazing God. All right, what's next? What else can I build in my kingdom? Like, it was always God was someone else's God. His power was seen, and he would, man, I'm such a fan of that God. Wow. And then he would just go on and live as he's still the center of his life. And now you can see, like, no, God is now the center of his life. Something has changed. And then the third thing that tells that something massive has changed in his life is that he is sharing details that don't make him look good. If you're trying to be the top dog in the entire world, you would not send a letter out to your entire kingdom telling them that there is someone who is far greater than you because they might worship that one instead of you. And so what he is doing here is incredibly politically incorrect if his role is to build his own political kingdom. And you even see this in ancient writings. You, we could know through history that a king was just totally waylaid by another empire, and the way that that king would write of his defeat would be, I was gracious to end the battle because he surrendered, you know. But he would always write it in a way that's like, I, you're, you're welcome, you're welcome that no lives will be lost from now on because of that's the kindness coming from my heart. You know, you would always spin it. And here, it seems like he's not spinning things. Um, he's no longer concerned about making himself look good. He's concerned about making God look good. So it's like, what happened? He comes out of the gate with this like proclamation and then it's like, where is this coming from? And then he backs up, and he's like, I'm going to tell you the story. I'm going to walk you through the story. And so here's the story. The story, it starts in verse 4. Uh, we're not going to read through all of it, all 13 verses where he's from 4 to 17. But here what he's doing is he's stepping back, and he's saying, all of this started with another dream. He's on dream 3 now, and there's another dream. He wants to know the interpretation of the dream, and this time... Remember, like last time, he's like, you have to tell me both the dream and the interpretation or I'll kill you. This time, he's telling everybody the dream, and the professionals are like, we have no idea what that means. Don't know. They could have made up something, but they were like, we don't know what that means. Um, the wise people aren't able to give him the interpretation even when he shares the dream. Then Daniel, which it's been years since we've heard from Daniel, but what I love is we can tell Daniel is just in obscurity, just walking with God on a daily basis. And Daniel is walking with God, and once again, because Daniel's walking with God, he walks into the throne room inside that palace. He walks into the throne room, and Nebuchadnezzar shares the dream, and it's this proud tree. Look at verse 12. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. So he dreamt of this just like majestic tree that fed the entire world. And then in verse 13, the tree is felled from heaven. Verse 13, I saw in the vision of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. And when he came down from heaven, he proclaimed aloud, chop down the tree. Lop off its branches, 
Strip off its leaves, scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its root in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze. Interesting that there's imagery there to, uh, to the, the image from the, the first chapter uh, or the second chapter. Amid the tender grass of the field, let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's mind and let a beast's mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. So Nebuchadnezzar sees in this dream in chapter 4 that this Holy One has come down from heaven. So once again, like Nebuchadnezzar is like his life basically gets messed up from heaven again. (laughs) He's like, man, that tree was beautiful until someone came from heaven and chopped it down. The interpretation is so radical. So we've just heard the dream up to now. The interpretation is so radical that Daniel doesn't want to tell him what it means. Daniel's looking the king face to face and is like, no. And Nebuchadnezzar's like, what? And he's like, no, no, no. This is, this is for your enemies. These are for people that hate you. This, uh, this must not be for you. And, and it's not like Daniel's not wanting to share because we've seen Daniel like speak truth to power, be courageous. We've seen Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego forfeit their lives for the sake of their God. But here we see Daniel have a heart of compassion towards Nebuchadnezzar because he knows what God, what God will do when he's pursuing people and the people are fighting, kicking and screaming every step of a way, and what God needs to do sometimes to wake people up and to rescue them from what they think that they want for themselves, but is leading to death. And so Nebuchadnezzar says, tell me, tell me what this means. So verse 24 is what this means. This is the interpretation, O king. It's a decree of the Most High. Picture Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel Man, I hope we have conversations just around fire pits, that we have conversations in Collins and Maxwell, Colonesco, Baxter, conversations in our communities like this. That is just like the most important information, and you're not afraid to share it. And so here, this is the interpretation, O king. It's a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that, verse 25, he shares with Nebuchadnezzar, You shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, which kind of stands for like, this is going to take a while. Till you know, you're going to be an animal eating grass, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will. And as it is commanded to leave the stump and the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed to you or returned to you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Man, those two words have just haunted me this week. I mean, they've been like tattooed on my heart. Just heaven rules. He will be in the state until he really knows in his heart that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, 
Let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Nebuchadnezzar is sending this out to his entire empire. He wants everyone to know how bad he got. He wants everybody to know what God had to do to get him to lay down his pride and pick up humility. Nebuchadnezzar will supernaturally become a hairy beast eating grass until he knows that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, gives it to whom he will. Daniel then in verse 27 tells him to break off his sins. I mean, that's a man to look at a king and tell him, you need to break off your sins. You need to repent. You need to turn. You need to actually show mercy to the wise or show mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. And uh, verse 28, it all plays out, and we see once again that for a year, for a year, Nebuchadnezzar ignores everything that he just heard. For a year. I mean, this is this guy's MO. The truth of God, crystal clear, right in your face. He sees it, and it like, bing, bounces off of him. And then he just goes on his way. And for a year, this is just floating out there. Verse 28 all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built? I think of the NBA players that just hit their chests, you know? Like he's doing that, like on the top of his palace. Is this not great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Gosh, for like three chapters, he's had so much truth from God right in his face, and it's brought him to this point. He hasn't changed. He still thinks he rules instead of heaven rules. He's still marveling at his glory and his majesty. And man, it just, it's made me just not want to be like this. It's made me not want to be like this. I mean, like, I don't want to come to church. And I mean, we went through the entire book of Ephesians. And I don't want to be like, oh, yeah, I don't really remember what any of that was about. And uh, it didn't really, didn't really do anything for me. And just, it's like, man, do you have any idea how much eternal truth has been revealed to us. And I don't want to get away from it. I don't want to have it bounce off of me. I don't, want, I don't want to be like, man, if it would just sink in and take root and grow, it would change our community. And, uh, and it's, just, it's just bouncing off of him. And man, I think that's why we, why we gather. And I think it's why we can, in tractors or drive into Des Moines or Ames, or how we can be meditating on scripture. And we could be meeting in community groups and rereading and praying and ta- discussing and challenging each other on what, what we're learning because we don't want, we don't want to be the people of God that don't hear his voice. And don't hear how he's directing us on a 
on a moment-by-moment basis as he is on. That's why we named the church Sacred Mission Church, is because we're believing Jesus is actually himself on a sacred mission for the people of rural Iowa, and we're just joining him. And it's his thing. He's the head of the church. He's directing us, and we're just following him. So here, Nebuchadnezzar hasn't caught any of this, and he's once again, this is like on walls, like they're like nailed to walls on like every city of Babylon in the empire. And he's telling them like, this is the way I was. And then verse 31, while the words were still in the king's mouth, my majesty, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers and his nails were like birds' claws. And this, this is what it takes for one man to realize that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he will. Nebuchadnezzar did not orchestrate the success of his life. The Most High allowed him to be the king of Babylon. The Most High calls the shots. The king of heaven rules this place. But for now, Nebuchadnezzar just goes crazy. He goes crazy. His fingernails grow so long that they start to curl. That doesn't happen in a weekend, right? Like, he is crazy for a crazy long time. And um, he lives in this. And then finally in verse 34, what we've been waiting for all this time, people have been praying for people like this for decades. Verse 34, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. Gosh, I mean, that's, that's it. I lifted my eyes to heaven, my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. Nebuchadnezzar finally personally lifts his eyes to heaven. He personally acknowledges that the God of heaven is not just in the lives of other people, but is in his life. He personally praises him, honors him who lives forever, The dream said that he would be a beast until he acknowledges that heaven rules. And what I love is that a crazy beast can turn their eyes to heaven. Think about that. If a crazy beast can turn his eyes to heaven, no one is too far to be able to turn their eyes to heaven, right? There isn't a single person on the planet if it's like, are you a crazy beast out of your mind, Harry, with curly fingernails? No. Okay, you can turn your eyes to heaven, and he could too. If he can lift his eyes to heaven as a mad cow, if Nebuchadnezzar can lift his eyes to heaven and has his reason to return, man, in the midst of panic attacks, in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of success, crazy success, blinding success, to lift our eyes to heaven and to see like heaven rules. Heaven rules. Nebuchadnezzar then, we didn't know he had this in him, but he writes a worship song. 
he writes a worship song written by the new believer Nebuchadnezzar. It's sent out to every city in the empire. It's part of this proclamation of chapter 4. It becomes famous as an anthem for how God can rescue even the most proud and resistant heart. Those who are resisting the true life that God is offering them to the resistance, to the ones that are fighting against God to pull them to follow him, Nebuchadnezzar says this. He says this to you. He says this to me. He, he lifts this up to God and to God. He says, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. Nebuchadnezzar knew like the gig was up. His kingdom wasn't going to last forever. And he's able to just drop the act and say, his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? No one can look to God and be like, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you doing? And what's happened to Nebuchadnezzar is like, he can't go into the throne room and say, basically, like, you're wrong. He's just let, his God has just gotten huge. Nebuchadnezzar can demand everybody in the world under him, and he looks to God and been like, I can't even question you. That's how strong and powerful you are. Now, thankfully, he's good, but his power is actually being recognized by Nebuchadnezzar. He's no longer ignoring this God. He stopped fighting against this God. Instead of questioning him, resisting him, he has finally followed him. And he's now seeing his power. And you can tell Nebuchadnezzar has been set free. He doesn't care what everybody thinks about him. He doesn't care how this is going to play out. He doesn't care how it's going to play out in his political conquering of kingdoms or anything. He doesn't care about any of that because now he cares about him. And he recognizes his power and he wraps up this proclamation by saying in verse 36, at the same time, my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me and I was established in my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me. In verse 37, oh my gosh. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right. All his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. That's the last word we ever hear from Nebuchadnezzar. Isn't it beautiful? The last word we ever hear from Nebuchadnezzar is the word humble. Uh, that's the poetic, uh, Nebuchadnezzar actually wrote this as a poem, and uh, in English it doesn't carry over as well, but for him to just drop the mic right there, those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. God was kind to Nebuchadnezzar, he allowed him to go back to being king. Um, those who previously followed him in his empire sought him out again as he was shaving and <laughs> cutting his fingernails, and, um, and he prospered. And, um, you know, that's God's gift in our lives. Giving our lives to Jesus doesn't just mean we're going to live in a trash can for the rest of our lives. Like, he's good to Nebuchadnezzar here. Um, then in verse 37, this last sentence, the end of his proclamation, I think what's so scandalous about this is Nebuchadnezzar killed so many people, tortured so many people, and I think we're going to see him in heaven. And that's like the scandalous grace of our God. 
is that when you humble yourself before him, he has the power to forgive, probably in ways that we wouldn't have forgiven him. We see this in the book of Jonah and other places. That, um, but, um, man, I think we'll see him one day, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, um, praising Jesus together. Uh, the king of heaven that he speaks about is his king. Um, Nebuchadnezzar knows all about the king of heaven through God humbling him, and he knows so much less about the kingdom of heaven than we do. This is what just struck me this week. Every single person in this room, everybody in this room, no matter what your background is, you know more about the king of heaven than Nebuchadnezzar did. You actually know his name. Nebuchadnezzar didn't know his name was Jesus. He just knew that's the king. That's the king I saw in the fiery furnace. That's my king. We actually know his name. We, we know others. Everybody in this room also knows. And if you don't know, I'll say it right now. And you'll know. You'll know more than Nebuchadnezzar knew. Nebuchadnezzar had no idea what this king was going to do for us. He had no idea that this king was going to come and actually pay the penalty of every one of our sins. He had no idea that he would actually come in a rescuing way to actually allow himself to be crucified so that all of our sins could be just taken away from us and all of his righteousness of Jesus can just be placed on us. And that is salvation. That is being saved. Nebuchadnezzar knew nothing about this. He didn't know that, that, that the king's blood would buy us, that his death on the cross would pay for our sins, that we don't have to change to get right with him. We just give our lives to him to get right with him. And um, he says to follow him. He, he bought us with his blood. But what I love is he didn't buy us to enslave us. Like that was the old Nebuchadnezzar man, this God's going to enslave me and life is going to be terrible because it's all going to be about his ego. That was the old Nebuchadnezzar. But the true king buys us to set us free. Buys us so that we can actually be free and on mission for him. And then he lives to intercede for us and is seeing us safely home, sending the Holy Spirit to be our counselor, empowering us. And um, man, my just huge question for each of us is like, would you join us? Would you join the redeemed of God? Would you join all of us? Um, would you join us in lifting high Jesus in rural Iowa? Like, man, how great for us in rural Iowa to be lifting high this Jesus, uh, not being apart from him, but with him leading us as we follow him. Jesus I think that this is just for us to own, is Jesus saves Nebuchadnezzar's every day. I mean, that's just so great. Is like, if, if Nebuchadnezzar is just one moment away from seeing God how he is and being forever changed, everybody we ever meet is just one moment away because Jesus is like, oh yeah, I, I do this, I've done this for 2,000 years, I do this every day. Um, because that's, 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 he, he doesn't sleep. Like, he's alive and well in every time zone, bringing people to themselves, and maybe even in this room right now, bringing people to himself. Um, talk to him as you would a friend. Tell him you are his. Give your life to him. Use your own words. And then let's, I'd love for us to baptize people in the next two weeks who are proclaiming as boldly as Nebuchadnezzar proclaimed that he is mine, I am his. For all of us, man, I just say, like, where do we need to say heaven rules? 
Where in our beast-like moments do we need to look to heaven and say, heaven rules? That's, man, I've woken up with, like, anxieties at time, like, you know, just things that could go wrong, and, uh, and just, um, by God's grace, there have been a couple times where, I, where, like, what's made me go back to sleep is just thinking, heaven rules. The king of heaven rules right now. I'm a citizen of that kingdom. I can go to bed trusting him. Um, man, let's pray together if we would. Lord, would we truly look to you? Would we truly allow ourselves to be humbled by you? Would we see the king of heaven clearly again? Lord, maybe for some of us it feels like seeing the king of heaven feels a little cloudy. Um, Lord, we don't, we don't need to perform for you. We just, Lord, we just return to you, come to you, change us. Let's hear your word, Lord, and be changed. Give us the gift of being able to chew on this chapter this week. Would it form us? Would it form our conversations? Would it form conversations that we have with friends in our community? Lord, would you allow us to, to, to come together, if that's through our community groups, if that's through people texting, if that's for people gathering around a fire, if that's for people riding in a truck together? Um, Lord, would, um, would, would, we, would we rally around being pointed to you by Nebuchadnezzar of all people? And Lord, we just say yes and amen to that and uh, do your work in us. Lord, if there are people in here that feel like Nebuchadnezzar, Lord, would you give them the gift of not doing what Nebuchadnezzar did a thousand times, which is just leaving? But Lord, the way that Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and just gave his life to you, um, you are on the move just as much now. And uh, Lord, we just say yes and amen to seeing people giving their lives to you and then um, being unstoppable in their proclamation of you to those around them who have yet seen the king of heaven and been set free. So Lord, we just look to you to move and act in this place. We love you. Thank you that all of these things are true of you. We worship you with our lives. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.